0: Father our hearts bow before you in faith and worship and acknowledge that you are the sovereign God and when we surrender to you when you have your way in our life it is the best possible life we could ever experience it is not the giving up of something that is valuable that we encounter when we surrender to you it is the gaining of something valuable And so, Lord, I pray, teach us that we might live our life in such a way that we acknowledge we're dead, but alive. Dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Open our eyes this morning that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. What a great time of worship. Many years ago, there was a group of botanists who went through the Alps looking for some rare species of flowers. And they were traveling through the beautiful country and came upon a deep ravine at which one of the scientists with binoculars looked down and saw a very rare flower that they longed to get closer to and uh, I think even to take out potted for their own experiments or on display. Problem was it was pretty deep ravine so they decided what they needed to do was to tie a rope around someone's waist and let them down in the ravine to get the flower. They noticed a local boy standing not too far away and they encouraged him to come over and they said to the boy we need to get a flower in the ravine what we'd like to do is tie a rope around your waist and let you go down into the ravine and get the flower and come up and the little boy peers down and looks a little question uh, questioningly and he says just a minute and he takes off he comes back with a man And the little boy says to the scientist, you want me to go down there? You're going to tie a rope around my waist and let me go down? He said, the scientist said, yes, that's what we want to do. He said, I'll do it if you let this man hold the rope. Because this is my dad. And I trust him. (laughs) Who are you going to trust? There's no one better to trust than our heavenly father. And when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about the absence of reason or good logic. John Stott is the one who said that faith is a reasoning trust. It is a trust which reckons thoughtfully and confidently upon the trustworthiness of God. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It is a leap into the arms of the God we know. Who is, and who is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is not blind unbelief. Faith is not superstition. It often appears opposite to reason, but it is never unreasonable. It may be above our reason, but its perfect reason. In the mind of God, you have to remember that human expectations are developed within the limitations of our own human comprehension. And because we are such limited creatures, there is so much that we do not know and so much that we cannot see unless we are people of faith. For faith sees the invisible because faith knows that the God who is cannot be seen with the human eye but he is there and everything around this world declares as it says in Psalm 19 God is and God is powerful and God is good and God is an artist and as we're going to learn from Hebrews 11 God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let's open up our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're making our way through this wonderful chapter. And it deals about heroes of the faith, both men and women. It deals of heroes who triumphed because of their faith and heroes who endured great tragedy because of their faith. This is not a portion of scripture that people go to to teach health and wealth theology. Because when you get halfway through the chapter, it says, and others were tortured, sawn in two, and on and on we go. But faith triumphs because faith sees God and believes in him. Now, what I want to do this morning is to look at the faith of Abraham. This is verse 8, Hebrews 11 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, Abraham is a great man in at least three religions. You think of Islam. Uh, in the Koran, I think Abraham is mentioned 118 times. Judaism, with the mention of Abram and Abraham throughout the Old Testament. And of course, with Christianity. In fact, if you count the names, the times when the name Abraham or Abram occurs, it's almost 300 times in both the Old and the New Testament. Indeed, he's a great man. But he's greater even more than just because he's mentioned often. It is in the Old Testament we learn that he is the friend of God. Jehoshaphat was praying for the Lord's help. And when the king prayed, he prayed to the God. And he said, Abraham is your friend. So it was well known and acknowledged that the God of Israel had Abraham as a friend. Or in Isaiah 41, but you Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Now it's the words of Jehovah himself, who calls his people as those connected to his friend. For after all, he is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, which means he's the God of the living because they're still alive. Abraham is my friend and then this verse which we have on the screen James chapter 2 and verse 23 simply tells us this Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend Called God's friend by the people in the Old Testament. Called God's friend by Jehovah himself. And then you get to the New Testament, summing up, as it were, things that have gone before. And God's friend is Abraham. But how did he become a friend of God? Look at the verse closely. Abraham believed. And at the basis of this friendship is this faith. What is faith? Going back to the early part of chapter 11 in Hebrews Faith is the substance of things hoped for Faith is the evidence of things not seen For by it the ancients obtained a good report They were commended And by faith we understand that the world The universe came into existence Was framed by the word of God And without faith it's impossible to please God For the one who comes to God must believe That he is. It's a good place to start. Many people don't start there. His existence. And then that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when Abraham believed God, he believed that God was. And he believed that God was a rewarder of those who embrace him and follow him by this thing called faith. And so when Abraham began his journey, at some point in time, walking with God, he's called God's friend. Abraham is mentioned more than anyone else in this chapter, that's why it's going to take us at least a couple weeks to get through his mini biography. But when the call came, Abraham went. Now remember this, Abraham was in the Ur of the Chaldeans. That's the southern part of Iraq in our modern day uh, perspective. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees, And the Chaldeans were uh, a pagan people. In fact, Joshua is the one who tells us that way back in that day, the, um, the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Or Terah and Nahor, Abraham's brother, they lived in that land and they worshipped other gods. So you start out with Abraham not being a Jew, but being a Gentile who was pagan. And Ur the Chaldees is an interesting place because it is a very remarkable city, materially for what it has, known and dominated by a three-tiered ziggurat which had multicolored levels and at the top a shrine to the moon god uh, Namu I always want to say Shamu but it's Namu They were advanced in their religion in education and even in things like mathematics for there was found in the archaeological uh, archaeological searching of the area a tablet on which a problem in trigonometry was being worked out, a very problem that people still battle with today. Smart people, advanced culture, great place. But it's also been discovered, according to Merrill Tenney, a Bible scholar who especially works in the Old Testament, that the graves of the nobles have been adorned by ritual burials of other people who were slain, human sacrifice, slain at the death of a noble. So where you had this so-called advanced culture in some respects, they were in the clutches of pagan darkness and it was out of that place that Abraham was called. You say, well, was he somewhat disillusioned with his world? Was he disappointed with his gods? I think there's a hint later on that he was. But how would he respond to such a call like this? Acts chapter 7, I think, gives us the answer. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 says, "The the God of glory appeared to Abraham. The God of glory. Now, I don't know what that means, A vision? Most likely. He appeared and probably spoke. And Abraham was convinced that all the puny gods in their city were nothing compared to this God who is so glorious. Maybe there was light, maybe there was angels, but it was impressive. And God said, leave your family. And I want you to go to a land that I will give to you. And so here's the response of faith. It's called obedience. Obedience. Faith believes a promise. Go to a place and faith obeys. In in fact, you cannot really separate faith and obedience. In the book of James, chapter 2, from which we've already quoted, we notice that faith without works is what? dead and it says it three times just in case you didn't get it the first time faith without some demonstrable activity is no faith at all just like the spirit or the body without the spirit is dead that's our definition of death whenever the spirit leaves the body you're done so faith if it doesn't have works does not exist saving faith Genuine faith must obey. Now, thankfully, God does not require perfect obedience because none none of us are perfectly obedient. He's looking for honest, sincere faith that may falter at times, just like Abraham did, but a faith that keeps going. So he responded. He received a promise and he began on a journey. He was obedient to the call. And he went to a land That he had never seen or heard of before. That takes courage. I don't always quote favorably. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Who was the son. uh, An amazing poet in many ways. And the son of a congregational minister. But he said this and I like it. All I have seen teaches me to trust the creator. For all I have not seen. All I have seen. Teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. That's Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And Romans chapter one. There's enough light in creation to make us accountable and to draw us in faith to the father. So he believed that God was real. He believed that God would reward him. And by the way, he was in his 70s when this happened. Now yes you have to understand that they lived longer so you know 70 in that day is not the 70 of our day uh, whatever that means but still he was up in years and yet he went forward and get this verse 8 said he went forward even though he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where I think that is amazing but he didn't know why. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Where did he get that idea? Must have been in the revelation of God, of His glorious person and His glorious plan, and His wonderfully gracious invitation to go to a place that I'm going to give you. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 12, the first few verses where God appears and says, I've got land for you and I'm gonna make a great people out of you and you're gonna bless the whole world. And the New Testament defines and comments on that phrase by saying it's through Jesus that the whole world is blessed, who is the seed of Abraham. So Abraham, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, shakes off the dust of the Chaldean city and on his way he goes, not knowing where he's going. I don't know about you, but I love trips, but I want to know where I'm going. I, want, I love GPS. Sometimes I put it on, well, not between my house and the church, but I put it on between here and Grand Rapids. Because I just like to look down and see how long it's taken. How long I have to go. and Make sure I'm on the right road. And <laughs> all of that. He had no indication except God said. But that was enough for him. Illogical? Not when you're trusting the God who made the heavens and the earth. Not when you've seen his glory. You say, Pastor, I don't get to see the glory of God. Oh, my friend, yes you do. You see it with the eyes of faith and the word. And when you read the word and meditate on it. Sometimes God will overcome you with his goodness and glory. So that you can hardly go on. And you may not hear. Most likely will not hear anything. And may, and may not physically see anything. But you will see with the eyes of Faith. As we notice in this chapter. So he responds by faith, but faith will be tested. And that's an interesting principle throughout this chapter and throughout life. Faith responds, but faith will be refined. Faith seems to be victorious. And then faith is persecuted and attacked because we're living in a broken world. And because because sometimes God's greater purpose oversees our present comfort. I think it was Johnny Erickson Tata who said, God sometimes does what he hates to accomplish what he loves. You say, what does that mean? Let me just say, the cross. God sometimes does what He hates to accomplish and bless those that He loves. And that's Faith's story. You respond and you're going to a country and it's real and it's yours and God appeared and on you go. Now, Abraham got detained in Haran for a period of time and that's where his dad dies. And Then the Lord has to say to him, okay, remember I called you way back in Ur of the Chaldees? Now it's time to go. And he arrives into the land of Canaan. But look at verse 9. Faith tested. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger... In a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him. Of that same promise, I will give you a land and you will be a blessing to the world. Now, wait a minute. God says, "This sounds like bait and switch almost. I don't know how much he knew ahead of time, but I do know this. Go to this land. It's gonna be yours. It's your inheritance. And let's just say he didn't know a whole lot more. He didn't know where he was going, and maybe he didn't know what was gonna happen when he get th- got there. So he gets there and says, Lord, this is great. Where do I set up my home? And the Lord says, well, you can set up your home as a stranger. What? Yeah, um, don't put down your roots too deep. This is my land. It will be. But right now, it's filled with polytheistic pagans. And it's going it's to be a while before you live in it. Abraham did not own any property in the land of Canaan before he died, except a burial cave named Machpelah near Hebron. I don't think anyone in, in modern uh, 2022 would say in answer to the question, are you a landowner? Yes, I am. What do you own? I own a plot in Deepdale Cemetery. It's my land. It's all mine. I paid for it. Are you enjoying it? <laughs> but that's all he had. He lived as a stranger. And like a foreigner in the country. Sojourner. That's an interesting word. I think the old translation uses the word sojourner. What does that mean? Border? Renter? Someone who's there for a while? And how long did he live as a stranger in that land? Till he died. Which was about a hundred years. How many investments, land investments, did he see pass him by? Oh, if I only would have invested in that property, now it would have been worth. But none of that stuff was part of his heart. So how in the world can you live that way except as Abraham did the unsettled life? The answer is in verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's verse 10. Cities are filled with people. And on the positive side of the ledger, they create community and safety. But verse 10, and we'll have it up there in just a minute, verse 10 speaks of a different type of city. Human cities also are filled, as Ur of the Chaldees was, With a lot of temptations. Abraham was not lured by the cities like his nephew Lot was. And Lot, when he had the opportunity, pitched his tent toward Sodom. In a city there is the opportunity to gain wealth and status. But it's also a place in which can grow, in a broken world, a community of anti-God people with a higher ideal of living for self and getting the most you can and ignoring God altogether. And we are living in a city just like that called the world. Not just Lansing, but the world. We're living in a country, in a world that has attached itself only to this and this is all we can see and we're blind to anything else. But did you know that God wants us to live like strangers and pilgrims here? We need to love our neighbors and get to know our neighbors and we need to fit into the world. And Abraham did. Abraham bought and sold and gathered wealth and knew his neighbors and had a great reputation among his neighbors. And we need to do all of that, but don't put your roots deep down in this world. Why? This world is passing away and all the lusts connected with it. And all of those who love it and live for it. That's what the scripture says. Peter writes in his first letter, we are strangers in this world. Chapter one, verse one. He goes on to say, chapter 1, verse 17, as the elect of God, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. And then he also says, chapter 2, I urge you, because you are aliens and strangers, to abstain from worldly lusts that war against your soul. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become a citizen of a different country. And as a citizen of a different country, you can enjoy this place you're living in and live in it well and accomplish the calling God has for you while you're here, but this world is not your home. You're just passing through. And too many of us live like this is all we've got. And we're afraid to lose what we have. The world bases their moral standards on the gods they have created. Abraham based his moral standards on the character of the God who is the God of all glory. So he was looking for this city. And I I love the way it's translated here. He was not looking for a city. He was looking for the city or the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Architect is where we get the English word technology from. It's the idea of design, intricate design. And builder the Greek word is only used here and it's kind of the idea of a public builder or one who builds, one who actually does does the construction work uh, before the eyes of others. So God is the one who designed, it's a design and build project, and he has built this city that is not of this world. And that's what we need to be looking for. F.F. Bruce said he was looking for the city, the idea being that he was looking for the only city that has enduring foundations. Every city of this world is passing away. But the city, and we're gonna talk more about the city, the city whose builder and maker is God is going to last forever. And that's what he saw. He saw it. So when he got there, He didn't mind living as a stranger because he saw the city. How often do you set your sights on the city and the king thereof? How often do you think about the second coming of Christ and the wonderful glory that will exist in his kingdom that is described as the new Jerusalem? A city perfect. Read about it in Revelation and your heart will stir In fact, it is interesting to note that he goes on from looking to longing. Verse 11, or excuse me, verse 13, chapter 11. All these people, and now he's lumping in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were mentioned previously. All these people were still living by faith when they died and they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Oh, I see it, but not now. I behold, but not nigh, says the prophet, who looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, the star of Jacob. I see it, but it's not here yet, and I'm longing for it. And so he says in verse 14, people who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. Their hearts are longing for it. As they look for that wonderful city. Verses 16. They were longing for a better country. If they wanted their old country. They could go back. You hear people talking about the old country. Especially if they have come to America. And made this almost like their second country. Often there is a tender spot in their heart. For the old country. And I get it. Many of us long for the good old days right? To which someone has said there were never any good old days. Good old days is a result of a poor memory. (laughs) Good old days. We remember some of the good things, but we don't remember the bad things. But they weren't looking for that, so they didn't go back. And they weren't looking for more, so they didn't plug in forever. They were looking above And they were longing, verse 16 says, for a better country, which is a heavenly one. Abraham went to Canaan knowing that that would be an inheritance, but looking for something even better. And whenever he was told, you know, you're going to live well over a hundred years and you're not getting this country. Abraham said, that's okay because the one I long for is better than this. So we read in verse 16 these amazing words. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that great? God is not ashamed to be called their God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that title doesn't bring shame, and yet I can go through the life of each one of those guys and point out some serious flaws, can't you? Because you and I are really good at finding flaws in other people. And when they're written down in the scripture, we don't forget them. Oh, Abraham. (laughs) Remember the time he lied about his wife? It's not my wife, it's my sister. Go ahead and take her. Put her in your harem. Just don't kill me. I don't think Sarah thought very well of that. But she agreed. And next time on Valentine's Day when Abraham sent her a card. (laughs) Probably made him eat it. Or Jacob. That old heel grasper deceiver. Turned. Saint. And he's in the Hall of Fame. Or Isaac. Isaac. Who does the very same thing his dad did? Oh my. Yeah, God looks at the sincerity of our faith, not our failures. When our sins and failures are washed in the blood of the Lamb and we're accepted in the Beloved, He owns us. I am His and He is mine. And that's not a statement of arrogance. That's a statement of brokenness and a statement of grace. And because of that, I rejoice in that relationship with my great, great God. Faith is pretty optimistic. A French philosopher said, I am optimistic about the future of pessimism. (laughs) And a lot of us are pessimistic about our future. But don't be. This world is not our home. And while we long for the next, let's live in the present. Going where he says to go and living like he says to live and not attached to things that pass away. And reveling in that title where God says, You are mine. I'm not ashamed to be called your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes so that we can see. There's so much in this life we miss because our eyes are only on the visible. And you're telling us in this chapter, the reality is not seen. Help us to understand that treasures in heaven are far better than our portfolio here on earth. And that the country we live in now is nothing like the better country of tomorrow on the other side of glory. In other words, Lord, make us people of faith who believe in you, who follow you, who live for you and long to be with you.